broadcasting while quarantined. This is the Camp Street Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 55, Bertrand Russell Behold versus Jesus. went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom. He runs on his way, there's no time to be going Welcome, slow. everybody, to the Campus Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, flfnetwork.com, or crosspolitic.com. And today, we're going to be talking about Bertrand Russell versus Jesus, because I think last week I mentioned I was going to be talking about Lydia McGrew's book, uh, kind of the unintended uh, coincidences. But as I started reading that book... Um, it wasn't as good as I thought, so I'm still going to, I think, steal a couple of them and talk about them in the weeks to come, but I originally stumbled upon her. She was on the, um, I cannot remember the name of that program. Anyway, there's a podcast where she was debating a man named Craig Evans, I believe it was, who I really appreciate his work, and uh, she was a little bit of a grouchy character uh, debating him, and so I decided to look her up, and then I looked her up and I saw her book, and it didn't really intrigue me at first, but then... um, Sometime later, I read Peter Williams' book on the reliability of the New Testament or an introduction to the historicity of the Gospels. And in a footnote, he mentioned her book. And so I was like, oh, you know what? If Peter Williams respects it, I should probably go check it out. And I saw she had some pretty good people commending the book and all that sort of stuff. So I decided to pick it up. But I'm maybe 50 pages in and just wasn't as persuaded of all of you know her arguments so far and so she she even points out it's kind of a cumulative case not just a few examples even if you disagree with her but anyway i found myself uh not really being persuaded or thinking it was as good it was going to be and then to top that off we're, here we are in uh, holy week uh i don't really necessarily follow the church calendar but i think it can be helpful and so on sunday i decided to read the triumphal entry and then monday the withering of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple and going to kind of go through the week along those lines, but when I was reading about the withering of the fig tree in Mark's gospel where I was reading it, there were some things in there that uh, I think a lot of people stumble upon, which in turn made me think of Bertrand Russell and his article slash book, Why I'm Not a Christian, so I thought I'd bring those things in. But Before I get into that little house cleaning or chores to take care of, uh, October 1st through the 3rd, we have the first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and I think it's going to be a barn burner, so if you can make it there, that would be fantastic. Also, if you become a member of the Fight, Laugh, Feast network prior to September the 1st, you will get $100 off your registration, so I have no idea how much it is. I believe it's at least $100. You're getting $100 off, and I think it's going to be really, really good. We really have a great—I've been calling on the murderer's row of Fight, Laugh, Feast people uh, talking and presenting, so I think you'll find it pretty beneficial and just be a good time. And actually, a year ago at um, Grace Agenda in Moscow, one of my favorite parts is when we all got together— as a little Fight, Laugh, Feast network at a uh, restaurant there, and we sang some hymns and ate some food, and every, or uh, some psalms, ate some food together and stuff like that, and we're going to have a psalm sing and all that sort of jazz. And so it's honestly, it's, it's even worth going just for the psalm sing, then you get to throw in all the other teaching to, um, to, to top it off. So I think it's going to be a great um, conference. And also, we do have our Fight, Laugh, Feast app. So if you go to your Droid Market or... Uh, Apple Market. Where do you get apps? Wherever you get those apps. Uh, Go there, punch in the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, and you'll find our little app. Download that, and hopefully all of our content is going to be there. And uh, so I am 
like everybody else, quarantined. And to be honest with you, quarantine's been disappointing from the standpoint that I actually thought I was much more of a genius than I am, and I realize I'm pretty average. So if two years ago, three years ago, you told me that they're going to shut down the world, what, what are you going to do? I figured I'd probably invent something, come up with some great ideas, and I have nothing, uh, unfortunately. I kind of mailed do some reading and assess some things, but I have not come up with, uh, say, an app that's going to, you know, cure corona or anything like that so uh i'm a little disappointed in myself and to top it off um i've been wearing these aqua run shoes um which just really they're kind of like almost like ninja shoes if you ever had like a ninja outfit growing up and i thought they'd be kind of uh it's like oh yeah i can just run around in these if i need to go anywhere and stuff like that and i have these <laughs> huge water blisters now on the bottom of my feet and uh, I'm going to try to, I'm a, I'm a fighter, so I'm going to try to fight through this and hopefully turn them into calluses. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but my goal is to turn the bottom of my feet now into calluses. So um, kind of like the palms of your hand when you lift, and that way I can kind of do tough things with my feet. So apparently they're dainty if after a few, uh, after one week really of wearing some uh, ninja shoes, my, my feet hurt. So I'm going to play through and uh, kind of fix that. But Anyway, so we're going to be talking about Bertrand Russell versus Jesus, and the reason for that is I, uh, in reading uh, Mark chapter 11, coming across the withering of the fig tree, you realize that um, it's one of those things that can be an apologetic issue. So your takeaway today is going to be two things. First of all, it's going to hopefully help you read the Bible a little bit better, um, have kind of a hermeneutic of how you're understanding the text and what's going on here. Also, it's going to obviously apply to the um, Bertrand Russell apologetic or his objection to Christianity. And it's also, I think, going to be helpful. Uh, one thing that's been kind of interesting since the little coronavirus broke forth and you just kind of throw in a few other things, World War Three earlier this year that came and went, and just kind of the, the general times there are changing type of air. Um, being in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, I have not had too many eschatological discussions in the sense of... Uh, very practical headlines. Does this mean it's the end of the age? Like most of my discussions on eschatology now are between on post-millennial and very rarely is there some sort of like pre-trib dispensational sort of aspect to it. But I was checking into a hotel about three weeks ago and I uh, mentioned doing ministry and stuff like that. And the guy was like, oh, like he kind of wanted to start talking about the, the Rona and whether or not it has something to do with like the fifth seal. And I don't know, I didn't even really notice, I didn't really know how to break down everything he was saying, but he had all these seals in his head. And so he starts going on and on and on. And I'm kind of like, ah, no, it doesn't really, I don't think it really has anything to do with that. So I also think that this is going to ever so slightly brush on that because it's going to help kind of focus, I believe, Jesus' words in Mark chapter 11, 12, 13. But even though we're going to be uh, focusing on Matthew or Mark chapter 11. But before I get into that, let me read two things uh, from Bertrand Russell here that will give us an idea of his objection. So the first thing, um, he says this, for one thing, he, being Jesus, certainly thought that his second coming would occur in clouds of glory before the death of all the people who were living at that time. There are a great many texts that prove that. He says, for instance, ye shall see, ye shall have not gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man he comes. Then he says, there are some standing here which will not taste death, so the Son of Man comes in his, into his kingdom. And there are a lot of places where it is quite clear that he believed that his second coming would happen during his lifetime of, of the many then living. That was the belief of his early followers, and it was also the basis of a good deal of his moral teaching. When he said, take no thought of the morrow and the things of that sort, <clears throat> it was very largely because he thought that the second coming was going to be very soon and that all the ordinary affairs did not count. 
So basically, he wants to say that Jesus is a false teacher. He predicted the end of the time-space universe um, shortly within the lifetime of those then living, and that didn't happen. So one, Bertrand Russell wants to say that Jesus is a false uh, prophet because what he predicted was to happen did not, in fact, happen. And then he goes on to say uh, that the, there are other less important reasons he objects, and he goes, um, he says this, Then there is a curious story of the fig tree which always rather puzzled me. You remember what happened about the fig tree. He was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And Peter saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou hast cursed is withered away. This is a very curious story, because it was not the right time of year for figs, and you really could not blame the tree. I cannot myself feel that either the matter of the wisdom or in the matter of virtue, Christ stands quite as high as some of the other people known to history. I think I should put Buddha and Socrates above him in those respects. Well, I don't know enough about the moral life of Socrates, but the Buddha left his uh, child when he was born. So, you know, the withering of a fig tree, uh, leaving your child when he's born, um, you know, I, I think Bertrand either didn't read into the Buddha or he's not being completely sincere um, at that point. It's neither here nor there. So what I want to do here is uh, kind of get a running start. I'm going to rattle off a handful of verses uh, from Mark, and you can kind of maybe scribble these down or whatever. And if you are reading the Gospel of Mark, I think what you'll realize, and if you read any of the Gospels, is all of this has to do with Israel and Jerusalem. And so if you think this is Matthew 5.17, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets I came to fulfill. Jesus is Israel's Messiah, and as Israel's Messiah, he is fulfilling their expectations, the Old Testament expectations, not necessarily their expectations, but he's fulfilling the Old Testament expectations of who the Messiah is. And so in Mark chapter 1, um, it says that everybody in Jerusalem was going out to him. Uh, but so it starts to pick up in, uh, I guess, I'll, I'll, I'll jump down to uh, Mark 11.1. Uh, now, when they drew near to Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, basically we had a donkey. Then he goes, and he entered Jerusalem. This is 11.11. He went to Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those, as Mark eleven fifteen, those who sold and those who uh, bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, Mark eleven twenty seven. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And jumping down to Mark 15, um, uh, that's not, not as important. So you, the, the point in rattling off those verses is what you get is— What's going on here is between Jerusalem and the temple, and even the Jesus expression he said his foot like stone to Jerusalem. And so Jesus had to go up there and confront the powers that be. And so I don't think we should hear these criticisms of Jerusalem and the temple as criticisms of Jerusalem and the temple. So if I'm criticizing the White House, I'm referring to the president, uh, Donald Trump, in this context, not necessarily um, – the White House, literally. So Jerusalem and Temple, I think, should be symbolic of the people who are there. So if we criticize, you know, the halls of Congress, um, that's kind of uh, 
an expression for the people who are there. So I think Jerusalem and the temple need to be understood as the scribes and the Pharisees and those who are in fact in some sort of religious power that is taking place there. And those are the ones that Jesus is taking issue with. And so if you consider the triumphal entry of him going into Jerusalem, everybody coming out and praising him, and I do love that in verse 11 he says, and when he entered Jerusalem and went up to the temple, and when he looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the 12, and it's kind of like, I love him going to the temple, looking at it, and it's like, it's on. Like it, Kind of like uh, Adrian, <laughs> I don't know if this is a perfect illustration, but Adrian and Rocky won when she tells Rocky to wing. It's like, and you get that little ding, ding, and, Ro- and the coach is like, let's go. And I kind of feel like this is... Uh, this is the, the go time, the bell has rung, and uh, the battle's about to pick up here. And so on the following day, uh, when he came from Bethany, he was hungry. This is 11, uh, 12. And seeing in the distance a fig, tr- uh, fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, uh, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. And so Mark gives us the expression that it's not the fe- uh, season of figs. And that is a bit odd and so even the the myriad of things that i have read i don't believe there's really been much um that i have found to be helpful discussing um exactly why uh you know jesus was expecting fruit to see uh even though it was not the season of of the figs and so um but as I was thinking about it, figs obviously plays a pretty important role throughout the scriptures from Adam and Eve covering themselves uh, with fig leaves. And I, I do think there is some component of Israel being exposed because what's going on here in um, Mark chapter 11 and the triumphal entry and then the, uh, the fig tree, it wasn't just a random cursing of any old fig tree. Israel is basically God's garden and a place that is to be bearing fruit. Um, and so even when you jump down to uh, eleven twenty. As they passed the morning, they saw the fig tree withered uh, away to its root. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and that's going to be um, the, the temple mount where, uh, is, is what they're referring to there. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes uh, what he says will come to pass, it will be done. Therefore, I tell you, whoever you ask in prayer, believe that it will, it will be received and it is yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against your brothers, etc. And so what you have is 11, 12 through 14, the withering of the fig tree. That story picks back up in eleven twenty, and sandwiched in between there is the, uh, they call it the cleansing of the temple, but it's probably more almost like a destruction of the temple. That, that's, that's what's going on there. It's not a mere cleansing. It's a destroying of the temple, and the temple is the one that's going to be withered, and that's going to tie in to, so, so the, the, the ba- basic idea is there in uh, re- responding to Bertrand Russell is that what Jesus is doing there is a symbolic act. He's withering the, the fig tree because that is a symbol of Israel, and Israel is about to wither and die, and they're covering of fig trees. There's, there's no fruit there. Israel's fruitless. They're covered in fig trees. They pray the righteous before the world, and they have nothing. And so I think that's kind of the symbolism what's going on there with the fig tree. And so to get upset that he withered a fig tree um, is to uh, fail to, you know, think of somebody burning an American flag. It's kind of like getting upset. Uh, you know, you might get upset if they're burning an American flag because you care about America, but the idea that, you know, oh, they burned a cloth or whatever, um, in and of itself, no big deal. Uh, it's the symbolism that's going on there when they're burning a flag. So obviously, it's you know, if you burn a fig tree, no big deal. But Jesus is withering it 
because it's a symbol of what's happening to the temple and Israel, and it's a dead religious system, and no one will eat from its fruit again, Jesus says. And uh, that ties in also with the idea of what Bertrand Russell's laying out with the second coming. And I think there's a lot regarding the second coming that needs to be addressed. And I don't have a good answer for you, but it's, it's one of those things that I've kind of wrestled with for a long time is in Mark chapter 13, it says, and as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then they come to him uh, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask him privately, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And in my head, um, I don't think Peter, James, and John, that they have an idea of a second coming at that point. So I don't think they're asking him, when's your second coming? I, I don't think they're necessarily totally up to speed on the death, the burial, and resurrection of him yet, let alone his ascension to the right hand of God the Father, then at some point in the future, he's going to come again. So the idea for Bertrand Russell, the race objection, that Jesus expected the end of the time-space continuum within a generation or within the lifespan of before everybody there had passed is just wrong because what Jesus is actually teaching, rooted in the fig tree and everything that's going on there, 11 through 13, even 14, is the idea that the whole religious system of Israel is coming down. And if you're paying attention, that did happen before everybody there died. So if you follow tradition, um, John died probably in the 90s, depending on when you think Revelation, even if you think Revelation was written early, John died in the 90s, probably on Patmos. And so not, you know, some of them did survive until, you know, his quote-unquote second coming or the sign of his coming, his riding in the clouds and destruction of Jerusalem. So when you come across these things of Bertrand Russell, and these objections, oftentimes the atheist does not read the Bible very well. And now I, I will admit I did not answer exactly the question pertaining to it's not the season of the figs, and I haven't found a good one. But within that, given the amount of attention given to Mark's gospel on the idea of time and seasons and stuff like that, I think there's a reason Mark is giving that. I think his early readers understood it right now. I don't have a good answer. But the the bigger picture is that it's symbolic of the destruction of Jerusalem. Much of Jesus' language regarding the coming of the Son of Man deals with that first century context of the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of the uh, the Old Testament system, uh, religious system, and that all was fulfilled just as Jesus said it was. So if Bertrand Russell was reading the Bible more carefully, he would see that Jesus was actually right. So in this round, at least, of Bertrand Russell versus Jesus, the victory goes to the Gospels and to Jesus, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and Bertrand Russell is wrong. So hopefully uh, that gives you a little something to think about coming into um, Holy Week. And if you listen to this, and yeah, read, uh, do the readings for Holy Week, and it's really fascinating. And just root yourself in a first century context of Jesus confronting Israel. So imagine a prophet going down to um you know, Washington, D.C. and confronting all the buildings and all the people and all that sort of stuff and saying it's all coming down. And then they end up killing him. At the end of the week, he rises from the dead. And sure enough, showing that he has all power and dominion, the person that they put down comes back in and destroys the White House, the Capitol building, and all that sort of stuff. It's a beautiful kind of story in some ways. It's also kind of terrifying. So that's this episode of the Campus Church Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, demands, rebukes, exhortations, feel free to reach me at Keith at Campus Future. Dot com campus evangel on the Twitter campus preacher on Instagram or keep their so bearing precious seed in his hand hoping and hope that he might see it grow 